welcome to Base Camp for Men. I'm your host, Tony Rezac. This is a show that gives you insights and resources on how to live a more courageous life. We'll be looking at men, the current state of masculinity, and how to create a more inspiring narrative for all men. Welcome and let's get started. Currently, there's a sea change happening in how we educate our boys. Brought on by this pandemic, parents are looking at alternatives in how we prepare our boys for adulthood. For many, public schools have long been an over-regimented learning environment for our youth. If an institution can suck the joy out of learning, a modern-day public school with its no-child-left-behind mentality may just do the trick. I remember picking up my exhausted-looking son from school on most days and thinking that something just wasn't right. Learning shouldn't sap all the joy out of you. At least that's what I thought. When I would ask him why he looked so tired, he would often talk of not having enough free time or time to run around with his friends. Schools had started to drop recess and trim lunch to 15 minutes. Both are crucial reset times for boys. In their attempt to check every curriculum and testing box, schools had forgot one thing, the well-being of our boys. Part of the problem is that we can't customize education the way we need to. Each boy is unique. Schools, with lots of well-meaning adults leading them, just don't have the resources. As a parent, it's my job to look beyond the school and have eyes on what sort of learning my son is ready for that falls outside of his public education. The phrase, it takes a village, has never been more fitting when it comes to educating and readying our boys for adulthood. And maybe, just maybe, this experiment in online learning and homeschooling might have a silver lining. Maybe we can get back to learning at their pace a bit more without all the fear that our boys are falling behind, whatever that means. My guest today has wisdom to share in the ways we educate our boys and is a great resource for parents of boys. Jennifer Fink is the founder of buildingboys.net and co-host of the podcast On Boys, real talk about parenting, teaching, and reaching tomorrow's men. She's also an award-winning writer whose work has been published in the New York Times, Washington Post, Fox News, U.S. News and World Report, Parents, and Your Teen. Here is my interview with Jennifer Fink. Okay, I'm here with Jennifer Fink of Building Boys, the website and the blog. Jennifer, welcome to Basecamp for Men. It's great to have you on the show. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. I've been really excited to talk to you. Your, your, your website and your blog are such great resources for parents, particularly parents of boys. Um, really great writing, really great resources. I guess my first question is, how did you come to start it? When did you start it? And kind of what was the impetus? What was the motivation behind it? Um, the easy answer is because I have four boys Yeah, <laughs> and the, the slightly longer answer is because I have four boys and I'm a writer and uh, I started it, it started life as blogging about boys in about 2009. And at that point it was when blogging was really big and I was taking a class on blogging and wanted to learn more and you had to pick a topic. What's something you know about? Well, that is what I was in the midst of at that point in time. I was in the middle of raising four young boys, and I had gotten far enough that I realized that I needed to learn more about boys to be able to effectively parent them, Yeah, and that if other parents had this information, it would be helpful to them too, because so many of us think that the issues we're having with our boys are unique, Yep. Or that we're the only ones or that there's something wrong with our kid or something wrong with us. And what I was seeing was that these are more universal issues. Right, right, right. It's funny. Um, 
I, before we get into the meat of the interview, I, I saw your article in the New York Times on memes. Yeah. And I just wanted to mention that because it was really funny because my son and I, I have a 13-year-old son, and and he was saying something about memes. And I was saying, oh, I know what memes are. And I described, you know, it's the, you have some text over. And he's he was rolling his eyes like, you have no idea what memes are, you know, and I tried to argue a little bit and he's like, you're such a boomer. And I'm like, well, actually I'm, then I go, I'm a Gen Xer. I'm not really a boomer. He goes, the fact that you're arguing with me just shows you're a boomer, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, okay, I think I'm getting a little out of my depth here in terms of teen culture. So maybe I should just shut up and just take the, take the put down. He's like, you just don't know. And I'm like, okay, okay, you're right. I don't know. So anyways, how did you come to write that article on memes? Uh, what did you discover getting into teen culture and, and specifically about memes? Um, my teenagers pretty much told me the same exact thing that you did. Mom, really? You? You yeah. don't get it. Yeah, yeah. And they're not 100% wrong. You know, well, right. I'll be real about that. Um, the article came about, this was at the beginning of January, and initially it was going to be kind of about the World War Three memes that started mm, circulating right, soon, right. soon after uh, the United States took out that Iranian general. Yep. I remember and that. then time went on and um, that wasn't newsworthy anymore. And mm -hmm. lo and behold, coronavirus was happening. Although at that point, nobody knew it would be this. And so right. that was the intro to it. And the idea that I was trying to get across to parents from talking to various experts is, you know, don't necessarily freak out if your kid is laughing at these memes about very serious things. Because that's what hit me at first. I'm like, you guys are laughing about the possibility of a world war? Like, Right. What's wrong with you? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't want to raise kids that think that's funny, Yeah. but as a coping mechanism, you know, and we all laugh at stuff. I mean, Saturday Night Live would not exist if it wasn't for laughing at things in the world, right? Totally. Yeah. So I learned, I learned that and I learned that teenagers really of all generations, they want their own spaces and they don't want the adults to try and figure it out. And they don't want the adults to try and analyze it. Yeah. And so uh, after I wrote it and got some feedback from teens, both on the article and then in my personal life, um, I've learned that I think it's my opinion. I think it's totally okay to let teens kind of have some of those spaces to themselves without sure. us trying to insert ourselves. That's great. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, with screen time, what are your thoughts on screen time? Because I've talked to a number of parents on this show and, and people that specialize in boys and, and you know, everybody is worried about the amount of screen time. And now, especially, yeah. you know, because it was like, we were already having these conversations before. And then when COVID hit, it was like, wait a minute. Now right. it's, now it's like, how do I put limits on it? If he's like cooped up and, you know, half his friends, parents don't want him to get together. I mean, it's loosening up a little bit, but there was a long stretch where we're like, what, you know, I'm going right. to be running right. or something like we've got to, we can't just be in front of the screen, you know? And so I guess I want to get your thoughts on, on screen time and now screen time. How do you, how do you navigate that with, with your three boys at home, I guess? I loosened up on screen time a long time ago. Mm -hmm. Um, I have four boys. My oldest will tell you the story of how once upon a time, back when it was desktop computers more than, you know, handheld devices, I had some coins that I had colored over with marker. And, you know, you could, this coin was worth 15 minutes. And when your time, your coins were out, you were done. But the mm. problem was that three of them would sit there and watch the other one playing a video game. And I'm like, oh. so does that time count for them too or not? Right, right, you right, know? right. Yeah. 
it immediately got cloudy and I realized that I did not want to be the screen police. I had, I had better things to do with my time. So I have really loosened up in my guys' uh, self-control, their screen time. And I have to say for us, that has worked out. Now, the caveat to that is if you want your boys to do things beyond screens, you have to give them permission and resources to do things beyond screens. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what I mean by that is a lot of times the things our boys want to do don't necessarily sound like a good idea to us. Right, you know, right. You know, uh, my my youngest wanting to build a bike ramp in the backyard and jump his bike off of it. Like, to a parent, that just screams ER visit. Totally, yeah. But giving him access to the tools and the bike and letting him do it, that turns into an afternoon-long project that then becomes a couple weeks' worth of fun. Well, and you, and you I remember reading um, one of your articles in your blog about how your one boy, who's real mechanically minded, he wanted That's to... That's my Sam. Yeah, he wanted to make spikes in his bike tires... And yep. he used screen time to do it um, to get mechanical stuff that maybe he's not getting in school or or, or yeah. elsewhere. And like, so he's finding resources for projects that he really wants to do in the in the real world, but he needs a tutorial, and so he can go to YouTube and and find what he's looking for there, which I think is a great use of you know resources. As we speak, there is a Yamaha snowmobile in pieces in my driveway that he is working on rebuilding. He oh, is man. fourteen. And nobody in his life that he knows, you know, in real time has ever showed him how to take apart and put together a snowmobile. But that's what he's been working on. And he's getting all of this inspiration. Um, It's YouTube videos. He's part of Facebook communities where Mm -hmm. they talk about these things. And that's allowed him to develop connections and support that he doesn't have access to here in real time. That's great. That's great. I love this kid. Uh, I do too. And uh, so, and but then also with screen time, like we kind of took the okay. Well, he's doing Minecraft, and that's kind of creative, and they're building stuff, and they're collaborating. And then there's like some parents are Lisa and I included. We kind of drew a line. Well, it's not the shoot up the first person shoot 'em up games because maybe that's not really great for for empathy or whatever, whatever you, you, you draw a conclusion of like, I don't want you pretending to slaughter a village of people. That just sounds terrible. Right. And, and I don't it know. What does. That, but then you, you mentioned in one of your articles um, that w- why parents need to read moral combat. And it was a study and I'll let you take it from here, but I was like, Whoa, that's really cool. And I don't think most parents would really have come across this material. And it's really interesting because we all struggle trying to draw the line of like, well, this video game's okay, but I don't like you playing these, but sometimes the kids like to play those. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I will share a, fir- a personal experience first with the whole first person shooter games. Cause I'm with you. Like it sounds terrible for fun. You are going to pretend to shoot other people. Yeah. Is disturbing to me. Right. Call of Duty is one of those very, very popular first-person shooter games, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, my kids have learned a lot about World War II by playing Call of Duty. Mm. Because if, if you're familiar with the series at all, there's different versions of it. And the World War II one is one that they played. And they learned about names of battles and things. And for them, that was enough that they got interested in it. That hmm. then when they heard World War II stuff in other contexts, they paid attention. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So one thing that I've learned parenting boys is, is to kind of keep your eyes and ears open because you're never quite sure 
what is going to catch their attention that then will become the peg on which other things can hang. So if their entry into history is through a video game, I'm okay with that. Yeah, me too. Um, So this book, it's a book and it's called Moral Combat, Why the War on Violent Video Games is Wrong. And it is by two psychologists. And part of what they do is they really break down the research about video games. And they point out that some of these studies, and you can't see me, but I'm putting it in air quotes, some of these studies that have suggested that video playing video games and violent video games is associated with violence were not very well done studies or were studies where it maybe showed a little bit of an effect, but you know, it sells headlines. Right. Can, right. Yeah. And, and so they point out things, for instance, that um, obviously video games are extremely popular all around the world. They are very, very popular in Asia. Yep. They don't have the school shooting issues there that we have here. That's Same true. Same video games. Yep, that's true. So it's not necessarily the video games is causing this. Mm-hmm. They've also looked at um, some really interesting study. I found this so fascinating that when a popular violent video game is released, so think the next edition of uh, GTA or Call mm-hmm. of Duty or any one of those, Yep. that in those days following violence typically goes down huh? because people are at home playing video games. (laughs) That's crazy. (laughs) And and to get to your point about empathy, there's a point in there where they point out that violent video games can affect our morality. And in some cases for the better, because more of these first person games and they're getting better and better. You, you enter into a character and you can see the impact on other characters as well. And so it can actually induce empathy. Now, that's not saying in every case. And also a personal experience here again. Um, my guys have played Fortnite. They have played Call of Duty. They have played a GTA, which I'm not thrilled about. I'm like, so you just ran that person over and you're breaking into a liquor store? And they're like, yep. Yep. They yep. don't do any of that in real life. No, of course not. Yeah. So, so the takeaway of the study really is you don't really need to worry so much about those video exactly. games. Exactly. And what what I have found is that I think parents are far more likely to cause problems by demonizing something that their boy loves mm-hmm. than yep. by opening a dialogue and listening and, you know, and try and figure out what they like about that and why they care about that. Because as soon as you demonize something, you're putting up a wall. And that wall is more damaging than whatever the thing is that the boy is interested in. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's a really good point. Um, so school, what, what, what do you, what would be your coaching for a parent if they had a boy that really did not like school? Um, I, I think this is, I know some boys, I coach youth soccer. I've got a bunch of really good boys, but also I know there's a, there's a, at least a couple of them that really don't like school. And what would, what would your coaching be if you, if your parent came to you and that was the case and they, they just could not get their kid very excited about school, what would be the steps or what would be the resources that you would point them to? Um, number one, listen to, to the boy, listen to your son, uh, mm-hmm. because there can be 16 million different reasons why he might not like school. Yeah. And your steps are going to vary depending on what the cause is. You know, some of those steps may be relatively easily resolved and some of them might be, well, there's not much I can do about that in this current circumstance. So it mm-hmm. depends. Yep. Um, 
I always encourage parents next up is to, instead of focusing on he hates school, Mm -hmm. find out what he loves. Mm -hmm. That's good. Yeah. Because you know, you, you know, you went to school, I'm assuming I went to school. Some kids like school just naturally. It's their thing. It Mm -hmm. sort of fits them and other kids it's not a good fit for them. My Sam, the one who is studying the bike tires and is building a snowmobile, he does fine in school, but that whole environment is not how he learns best. He's much more a, a doing and experienced yeah. person. And so much of school is not that. Even no, today. no, it's not really tailored for boys, especially like Sam, if he'd rather yeah. be out in the shop deconstructing something and figuring exactly. out how things work, you know? So yeah. So for him, for instance, I have found that it is absolutely crucial to give him time and space in the garage. I have a three-car garage that I currently can't park in because Sam has a third of it for his lawn mowing business and shop and rebuilding. And Tyler has a third of it for his boat for fishing. Mm. And uh, their brother is currently um, sanding down and going to repaint his car in, in the other bay. But for my kid who hates school, that time is as important And I'm even going to say this, I think maybe even more important than what he does in the school building. And so for him, I have prioritized that over, say, fighting with him about homework. Yep. That's really smart. We had somebody on our podcast recently. I co-host the podcast on boys and the, the guy's name is Joshua Wayne and he works with teenagers and their parents. And the thing he said, the number one point of conflict between teens and their parents is school. Mm -hmm. and it's not worth fighting about because that barrier goes up. And then, you know, teenagers, they, they become entrenched. The more you force it, the worse it's going to get. Right, right. I love the piece you wrote recently um, titled, What About School? I've been recommending it to all kinds of people. Oh, thank you. I, th- I think it really captures what p- the anxiety that parents are having right now during COVID-19, where they're like, some some schools are... Um, they're going to uh-huh. be part time, like where we're at in Seattle. Our school for the first half of the year is going to be all virtual. Okay. Um, so, um, but I just really loved your the points that you made there. I think it really helps parents sort of navigate what's going on right now. Um, but I wanted to give you a chance to address like what was the the takeaway or what did you what were you you know the points that you were trying to make in that article? I guess I, I came away going, okay, I I feel like she <laughs> helped me orient what, where things oh, are. And not be pressing so much to try to meet, you know, you know, because I think parents are like, well, what happens if he gets behind? What happens if, you know, the... So the most helpful thing for me, um, we homeschooled for seven and a half years. We pulled our oldest son. He's now 22. We pulled him out of school halfway through first grade Mm -hmm. and then homeschooled for the next seven and a half years. And the best thing about doing that, and who knew it was going to come helpful in a pandemic that, Mm -hmm. I mean, who knew... Right. was that it caused me to question everything that I knew about education. And one of the biggest things that you learn if you homeschool and you homeschool for a while is that this whole idea that you need to do this thing by a certain time, it's kind of ridiculous. Yeah. The idea that you are behind if you don't learn to read by this age until this age, Does it really matter if you get Mm -hmm. to the same point in the end? Does it really matter when you get there? Because we all know from having um, babies and toddlers that children develop at different paces. Mm -hmm. You know, some get their teeth early, some are a little later. Some are walking well before they're one, some not until they're like one and a half. 
it's fine. They all get there. And so I've really translated that into education. And then the other thing that homeschooling taught me is that the only thing a kid really needs to learn, in my opinion, is a caring adult. Hmm. Kids are naturally curious. You see it with the little ones. They ask a billion questions. They want to know why. They want to try things. They want to do things. You don't see it as much with older kids, but if you think about it, that's because so often we're so busy telling them to sit down and shut up. Right, right. Yeah, I I thought maybe this, where we're all going to be homeschooling to a certain extent, we're having to borrow, rip a page from your playbook in a way because the kids are going to be at home. Um, Last year, uh, our school district got caught kind of flat-footed. I mean, everybody was kind of like, what the heck's going on here, right? They didn't exactly hit the ground running in terms of online education. So we were, we had a board, you know, 13-year-old at home and playing a lot of video games. And so we basically said, look, um, we're going to put you in like a college elective. He's really into Adobe and editing. So we leaned into that. He took awesome. a code, he took a coding class and he liked that. Okay. But he's like, no, I'm, I feel like I'm learning stuff that I'm going to use later. Yeah. And so I guess one of the questions I have for you is like, do we, is that a good approach or like, let's say a parent is got their kid in and school is online and let's say their, their school district is a little flat foot. Maybe they're not mm-hmm. really up to the task of, you know, I'm hearing some schools are saying, oh, we're taking attendance and they're going to be there for six hours. Yeah. You know, and I don't know if that's necessarily going to be great. Like what's, how do you, how do you find the balance of, you know, having them attend some classes? And then what do you do when they're not in class with kids that are home a lot during the school year, which normally that was childcare and his friend, I know. all that. So now you're going, okay, now how do we, how do we fulfill those needs um, and have balance? And maybe the six-hour grind—they always looked exhausted after school, anyways. That mm-hmm. was—I don't know if that ever really worked for them. You know, they—they they right? tired, yeah, as I would be if I was sitting at a desk and they were taking oh recesses and they were shortening up lunches. There was a lot of things that we already didn't like about the structure of it for our son. So yes, yeah. yeah. So I don't want to minimize the issues that parents are having because this yeah. is extremely difficult to figure out how you're going to work, support your family, support your kids learning uh, while maybe schools are closed. Like this is really difficult stuff. I do think there are ways that you can make it easier on yourself. And I think the first one is to not fight about school. Mm -hmm. So uh, if your kid is really, really struggling with online learning, or if your gut as a parent is telling you that online learning is not working well for your son, I would opt out. I really would. There are so many other ways your kid can learn. And you gave a great example there. You know, you saw that your son was interested and you found a course that was along those lines. Now, maybe that particular course wasn't his thing, but Mm -hmm. then there was the next thing, right? Yep. There are all kinds of things like that that you can do. And there's, there's learning online. There's there's books. Um, I've got a brother who's a video game designer who's got some you know, things out. So if you've got a kid who's into video games, he can learn more about how to design a game. Mm-hmm. That's great. Speaking of memes, there's a meme that I've seen going around lately with the adults, not the children. Um, but it basically says, you know, all these parents out here worried about my kid is going to fall behind. Half my friends have master's degrees and are working as bartenders. Yeah. Your daughter could, could spend her time learning to make quiches and come out ahead. 
Totally. Totally. And there's some truth to that. Yep. So with this time at home, you mentioned so often our kids don't get outside time at school. They don't get recess. They mm-hmm. have to get up too early for their biological clock. Mm-hmm. I think that if our kids get the opportunity to sleep, to move during the day, this is the perfect chance for them all to learn a little bit more about what it takes to run a house, to contribute towards you know, cooking, cleaning, laundry. I know that's hard. I live with teenagers. Lord, do I know that that's hard. But it's essential learning. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if we move ahead on that, and then just all the learning that that comes from living through a pandemic, there's opportunities to talk about science, to talk about psychology. Your kids will learn. That's really great. Yeah, really wise. Um, I wanted to ask you if there was any, like a couple of particular books that you always recommend to parents, you know, I have some friends that are new parents of boys and, and, you know, there's not a ton of books out there. There's a few, but I wanted to see maybe, is there one, do you have a couple that are maybe top shelf that you all? Yeah, I do. Um, One of the top ones I would recommend right now is how to raise a boy by Michael Riker. I had him on as a guest. <laughs> we had him on too. Isn't He's, he fantastic? I loved him. I loved him. Yeah. That is a very good book. Yeah. It's fantastic. That yep. is a must have. Yep. Um, I recently, for the first time, believe it or not, I read Raising Cain ah. um, by um, Michael Thompson and Dan Kindlin. The book's about 25 years old, but it came out while I was so busy raising boys, I didn't have time to read it. Still extremely relevant. And then... um. One that I love that doesn't get a whole lot of press is called The Last Boys Picked, Helping Boys Who Don't Play Sports Survive Bullies in Boyhood. Hmm, that sounds good. If you have a son who is not into that, I think this book is invaluable. And frankly, even if your son is super into sports, I think it's a worthwhile read because it shows you how much that whole sports culture affects boy culture and boys experience in the world. Yeah, absolutely. Are there any, uh, do you have any creative projects that you'd like our listeners to know about coming up? So I have a weekly subscription newsletter called Building Boys Bulletin. It's Mm -hmm. on Substack, which is a a newsletter website. But if you just look for Building Boys Bulletin, you can find that or you can find it on my website. And uh, that's a weekly newsletter, comes with a little article and some inspiration for me. And then I provide links and highlights because you don't have time to read all these articles about boys and, and parenting. But that's what I do. So I deliver it right to your inbox. And uh, this is the kind of thing that has helped me grow as a boy parent over the years. And I think it will be helpful for other parents as well. That's fantastic. Well, Jennifer, thank you so much for coming on. And thank you for all the work that you've done, all the wisdom that you've provided and resources for parents of boys. It's made a huge difference. And I just so appreciate who you are. And thanks again for coming on. Thanks so much, Tony. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Jennifer Fink. I really like how she takes the approach that boys will gather what they need along the way, regardless of timelines that we adults or schools or anyone else puts on them. Some of the things we deem so important may not be so important to them, and that's okay. And I think this is a really good thing to keep in the front of our minds. That's it for this week, and keep up the good work, parents. That's our show for today. Men, remember that the story of your life is not yet all told. I'm Tony Rezac, and thank you for listening to Basecamp for Men.